This is Monty in the Morning, the show Phoenix Magazine readers voted number one talk radio show in Arizona. Number one during your morning commute. Number one whenever news breaks during your day. And number one whenever and wherever you want to talk sports. Now it's time for Monty in the Morning. Hey, yo, man, how the heck are you? It's Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. This is the Monty Show. Make sure you hit subscribe. We are uh, jetting our way to 5,000 subs on this channel, which is when we uh, will give you a PlayStation 5. Oh, wow. 4129. So, uh, yeah, we're moving towards 5,000 rapidly. Uh, Hit subscribe. By the way, if you want five to one entries... Uh, to win that PlayStation 5, all you have to do is buy a T-shirt from us. For every shirt you buy, you get five entries uh, to win the PlayStation 5. Just send a DM on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok to The Monty Show. M-O-N-T-Y. The Monty Show will get you hooked up with those shirts. Today we have a lot to get to. We got to talk about, do you guys even know who Ezra Miller is? The Flash. He's an actor. He had a crazy interaction with the cops. We'll talk about what you should or shouldn't do uh, when you run into uh, the 5-0, if you will. Um, We don't usually do a lot of Hollywood on this show, but I think the Johnny Depp-Amber Heard trial uh, changes that game just a little bit. Some of the audio from that trial is crazy, Uh, including Amber Heard talking about her dog pooping in Johnny Depp's bed, which the fact that we have to debate if it was Amber or the dog who did the deed is quite interesting. So we'll talk about that as well. But we want to start with BYU football this morning. Yes, it is uh, May and we are talking BYU football because this week it was announced that the BYU-Tennessee game for 2023 was being canceled. And... It seemed like BYU fans got quite upset about that. Um, There was a lot of tweeting going on uh, because we all know the world starts and ends with Twitter, right? Obviously. Um, But there was a lot of conversation on Twitter about what Tennessee's motives were and if it was disrespectful and, oh, my God, Tennessee is too scared. I don't think this is that complicated. Now, I could be wrong about this, but when I look at what BYU did, In scheduling Tennessee as an independent, that was fantastic. But how difficult is it for BYU fans to understand Tennessee actually did BYU a solid here, and I don't think it's even that close. If you look at the situation in 2023, you have BYU joining the Big 12. That's nine conference games. And by the way, we still have no idea what Oklahoma and Texas are doing. When they're going to the SEC, there is a very good possibility that Texas and Oklahoma are on BYU's schedule in 2023. Now, that could all change if Texas and Oklahoma, you know, go to the SEC in 2023. Sure, that could all change. But if you have the fact now that Utah State, that series was canceled and the Tennessee game was canceled, that still leaves you, I think, what, three or four non-conference games that you have to manipulate Because do the math, nine conference games, which is what it looks like the Big 12 is going to stay with, you're going to play 12, right? So that's only three. Tennessee did BYU a favor. And oh, by the way, did I mention that BYU is getting $2 million to cancel the game? 
So, Jake, I just don't see what's controversial about this. Yeah, and the best part about the $2 million is Tennessee gets to pay that out of the, the ticket revenue out of the Virginia game that they scheduled. So that's that's the best part about it is if you're Tennessee. Now, if you're BYU, yeah, I don't think that this is, this is such a problem. You know, I, I think that things like this are going to happen when you try to, um, you know, do bigger and better things. And that's exactly what they're doing with the Big 12. And I think that that, you know, as soon as you take that schedule on, obviously now all your non-conference stuff changes and your commitments change. And obviously the mindset around scheduling non-conference games changes because now you have the ability to say, okay, if somehow we found a way to dominate the Big 12 and, you know, let's say we were a, you know, a, 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 an eight-win team in conference and we could pull out three wins outside of conference, you know, now we're, what, 11-1, and one, you know, you have a legitimate route to the college football playoff. And so I think if you're BYU, you're looking for um, efficiency with that route, but you're also looking for big-time matchups for strength of schedule purposes. So, yeah, I don't think that this is this is some sort of end-of-the-world thing. Um, I actually think it's it's great how it sort of all worked out. It seems like everybody, everybody won. You know, Tennessee's story is that they wanted more people at the road game, at, you know, at their road game, if you will, and they didn't feel like a lot of people were going to be coming to BYU, which to me it's kind of obvious. It's a road game for a reason, you know, like I, I wasn't in love with that, that logic out of them and their statement or whatever. But at, at the end of the day, I think, you know, for BYU, you're, it's, it's just another opportunity. This doesn't have to be gift wrapped and packaged as some like, you know, hatchet job on the program or something. Cause that's not what it is. You know, the, the BYU didn't want to cancel the game. Tennessee did. So Tennessee's going to pay $2 million in ticket sales, which by the way, for them is going to be drops in a bucket because they're playing, uh, I think it's at, uh, what is it, Nissan Stadium, um, and they're playing Virginia. So there's going to be a ton of ticket sales of that game, and they'll be fine. So I think if you're BYU, you're looking at this as an opportunity to find uh, to find an even better non-conference game, and, and, and you're riding off into the sunset from that sense. Yeah, I, I just don't think this is that controversial at all. I think from the Tennessee side of it, this makes perfect sense. I mean – Traveling to Nashville is exactly the right thing to do against Virginia, a regional rival. Um, ticket sales for that game are going to be massive. $2 million to Tennessee off the gate of that game is a drop in the bucket. Um, this makes all the sense in the world. And when you look at why Tennessee is making all of these changes, look at the Army game that they dropped off their schedule, which was in the middle of their schedule between two conference games when you have most teams in this country that are going to play, you know, let's say, uh, you know, a, a read option or a, a pro-style offense, you have Army playing this triple option freak show. Do you want to have that in the middle of your schedule and try to prepare for an offense that you likely, your guys have never seen before and will likely never see again, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And with a new athletic director and Danny White, he's going to do what needs to be done to rebuild that team and rebuild that program. And I actually think it makes clear, perfect, logical football sense not to play BYU, not to play Army, to play Virginia in Nashville is a home run for, for UT. Yeah. The Vols did the exact right thing here, and I don't think it actually had anything to do with being scared of BYU or hating the damn Mormons or any of that. I think this was sound football. And again, I'll go back and say, hey, you want to pay me $2 million to cancel that game when I need to find it? You know, at one point, you had a full schedule of games you had to cancel. If you want to be upset about losing a game, be upset about losing Utah State. 
because that is an in-state rival that I think all of us as football fans love that game. Yeah. Right? That game should be played every year, just as Utah-BYU should be played every single year. We're losing a big game in BYU and Utah State. The Volunteers, who cares? Man, I really don't care that they canceled that game. I am not upset about that. I am not frustrated about that. And if you're a BYU football fan who is frustrated or upset about that, I, I would tell you, go back and reevaluate what you're thinking because it makes all the sense in the world for BYU not to play that game. It makes all the sense in the world for Tennessee not to play that game. And it makes all the sense in the world for BYU to be like, okay, wait, I've got to cancel a bunch of games so I can fit into the Big 12 and you're going to pay me $2 million not to play one of them? Yeah, I'll take that. Every single day, this is a win for BYU, in my opinion. And by the way, I actually think that this is this is exciting to be talking about BYU adjusting schedules because they're going to the Big 12. Yeah. I think the bigger question is, will you have Oklahoma and Texas on the BYU schedule in 2023? Because that's already going to be... I even think when Texas and OU leave, that's going to be a very difficult conference. So I look at what I look at what Texas and Oklahoma mean football-wise. That's a that's a lot in that conference, and I think it would be great to see BYU um, have Texas and Oklahoma on their schedule. It'd be nice. I mean, Texas obviously there's history there, uh, dating back to the Bronco days and uh, Taysom jumping over guys in in Austin, like. I think there's a lot of history there. I actually think Texas is a pretty good rivalry game. It's unfortunate that BYU is joining a conference in the Big 12 without Texas, but hopefully you get them on the schedule in 2023. Uh, I think the learning curve in the Big 12 is going to be steep. It's going to be very difficult to compete right out of the gate uh, for a conference championship, which I, I think will be a shorter climb than, let's say, Utah had in the Pac-12. But I think it would be nice to come out and play Oklahoma and Texas in the first year. Get that in. Get on national TV. Get that beat down one way or the other. I think it's actually really exciting that here we are sitting here, Jake, in, in April of 2022 talking about BYU forming a, a, a Big 12 schedule. Yeah, and I think if you're a BYU fan, like the history around, you know, whether you're talking about Texas or whether you're talking about like Tennessee as an example, you know, in 2019, obviously BYU beats Tennessee in overtime 29 to 26, you know, on a, in a crazy game on the road for BYU and and I and I think that's really what the fan base, you know, thinks about when when cancellations happen or or you know, you're adding, you know, Texas back, let's say if that happens, you know, they think about the history and they and they want that opportunity at home at Lavelle to to win another game. That that's what they want. And so I think that's why yesterday, you know, you you have this sort of just this storm of of, oh man, they're canceling this and they're canceling that. Like, why wouldn't they want to play us? Like, I saw that all over Twitter, you know? And and I think that the BYU, you have to understand, BYU is a really strong brand. Like, the days of, of BYU just being a pushover opponent have been well done. I mean, it's probably since, I don't know, 2017, 2018, you know? That's really when the turning point happened. And then Zach Wilson comes in. And so, you know, the program's been on a probably a five-year climb here. And the Big 12 feels like, you know, they, they reached the peak of their first climb, and now they're starting a new climb entering into that conference. And so, yeah, I think, you know, you were talking about the learning curve and, and trying to get used to that level of competition. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the first year was a, a tidbit rough, you know, if you <laughs> didn't have some, you know, 10-win season in the first year. 
You know, like seven wins in the first year is probably what's realistic. But that's why I think it's so important that they have a good non-conference schedule so that when you do suffer those losses in conference and you do figure out how to play the Big 12, you can at least have some, some you know, premier matchups outside of conference. And I think that's the biggest thing. For BYU, it's about making money. It's about, it's about you know, leveraging that ESPN contract. And it's about establishing yourself in the first three seasons as a Big 12 power if you will like if I'm BYU that's what I'm trying to do yeah I think it's probably a five to seven year climb to the top of that conference and I think obviously you get a lot of things you're going to make more money arguably you're going to make more money Um, I think it'll be interesting to be determined to see how the financials actually work out in the big 12 Uh, obviously you're going to have better more um, you know appealing matchups you're going to form new rivalries Um, I mean there's a lot to like but let's not mistake the fact that BYU's got them out in the climb here. Um, and when I look at their 2023 schedule, I'll take a cupcake. Give me Wachahatchee State you know, Technical College uh, instead of Tennessee because you're going to need those kinds of games on your schedule now. The blueprint is there uh, for going to the college football playoff. Schedule some cupcakes, and you got to win out in conference. And BYU not having Tennessee on that schedule, hey, man, I'm totally good with that. I'm a hundo P good with Tennessee. Give me 2 million bucks to walk away. Yeah. I mean, that that's a gift, man. Um, that is an absolute gift. So I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point too much. Obviously we talk a lot of college football here on the show, but I think this is not something to be upset about. If you are a BYU fan, things are actually breaking quite nicely for you in 2023. And I would schedule a cupcake. I would find anybody's brother's flag football team who wants to come and play football that weekend <laughs> because you're gonna need I'm telling you now it there is no pride there is no macho there is no testosterone in scheduling 12 p5 opponents every single year that's not how you get to the college football playoff point me to the team who's done that consistently over the last three years and gotten there because all it does is beat you up early in the season. And I, I I happen to think that's just not the right way to go about it. All right, again, if you are here, make sure you give us a thumbs up uh, while you're watching the show. Uh, always appreciate you guys being here. Love talking football. It's actually nice to Finally. be talking a little college football um, as, we head, uh, as we head for the summer. But, of course, arguably the biggest story, and I think, Probably not arguably, but the biggest story in sports yesterday was Boston, Miami um, in South Florida for game one in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think we finally found the problem with Jason Tatum, who I think is having one of the best runs through the playoffs that we've seen out of Boston in some time. I mean, his performance is it brings you back. I hesitate to say it, it's bird-esque, uh-huh. but it is that dominating superstar performance that Boston has lacked going back to the KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen days. Um, and you're getting that out of out of Jason Tatum. But we've seen him slipping in the last few weeks. I look at some of the scenes out of that Milwaukee series. And one of the things we've talked about a little bit is this problem across this league with guys complaining to the officials. And one of the things you saw in that Boston-Milwaukee series was too much Jason Tatum complaining to the officials, falling to the floor while Milwaukee was running down in a couple of cases, hitting threes, getting layups that led to a Boston timeout. And what did we see last night in the third quarter? Boston comes out and just absolutely gets boat raced in the third quarter by Miami. And there was a good bit of that. There were two, three possessions there 
where Jason Tatum turned the ball over and did not run back on defense, where Jimmy Butler picked his pocket and he didn't run back on defense. And you're starting to see, I don't know if that's a a, a mental thing with Jason Tatum, but you're starting to see that maybe Jason Tatum likes Jason Tatum a bit much. I don't know. We're going to see how he reacts in game two. He's bounced back very well in these playoffs when he's had subpar performances. I would expect that in game two. And I, in fact, I would expect Boston to win game two. They really missed Marcus Smart. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think this is the first time, Jake, that we've seen weakness really show itself in Jason Tatum's game this year. Yeah, you know, I, I think that when you when you beat the opponents that he's beaten, I think sometimes you can get you can get a little lax, you know, and, and not to say that he's been lazy, not to say that he's not working hard, but I think that, you know, you start to assume that you'll get that call from the official or you start to assume that, that Jimmy Butler is not going to try and pick your pocket or that, you know, the Tyler Heroes or the or whoever, you know, is not whoever's playing is not going to try to get after you. And, and that's the hard part about being the best. You know, when you're the, when you're one of the best guys in the league, they're always going to send as much help as they can send and they're always going to come after you. And, and I think that, I tend to agree with you. I think game two does go to Boston. I think that um, that is very much a Boston thing to do to win that second game on the road going home. So, you know, I think it's going to be, I do think this is going to be a deep series. I think this is going to be a long one. Um, I think, you know, it's just getting started, but I think for them to win, you know, Tatum mentally has to stay locked in, you know, and, and I, and I loved early in the game when he was forcing the issue and, and really getting to the rim and, and, and making them play, you know, good defense or foul me, you know, like he's, he's putting them in that kind of position where it's like, Hey, you're either going to, you're either going to go up, but not follow me and essentially let me score, or you're going to follow me and put me at the line. I'm going to get two anyway, you know, and I love that out of Jason Tatum, but I agree with you. Miami comes out in the third quarter and really it, it lasted most of the second half just comes out, locks in defensively and, and shuts them down. And I think that's where, when, when that happens, when Miami does that, that's where you need Jason Tatum. Uh, that's where you need, you know, the Jalen Browns to really kind of wake up and make some of those tougher shots. I don't need that. I don't need you to be Kobe in the first quarter. I need you to be Kobe halfway through the third when Miami went on a 10-0 run. Yeah, and and I, I think some one of the conversations I think we need to have there very clearly um, is that this is one of those situations where I thought Boston was really good in the first half. Not really good. I thought they played well enough to win the game in the first half. They did not play well enough to win the game, certainly not in the third quarter and not in the fourth quarter. And I also think one of the things I really worry about with Boston, and I know we've talked about this a lot on the show already, but Derek White has to be more of a contributor. This is starting to get problematic for, for Boston. I I mean, obviously, you are you know who the guys are on this team that shoot a lot of threes. I mean, Certainly, we saw last night that that Pritchard shot a lot of threes. Four of 11 um, is probably not the number they were looking for, right? But when you have Derek White, 0 of 1, and he passed on a couple of opportunities to shoot threes, um, I think that's a problem. Obviously, Grant Williams only shooting two threes last night is a problem. Jason Tatum, 2 of 9. I wonder if this team doesn't rely too much on the three. Because I agree. I think when they came out of the gate, you know, attacking the basket, really getting after it, um, I thought Jalen Brown intentionally being a force on the glass was really a big part of their success early in this game. But the Boston Celtics have to figure out what they want to do offensively and consistently attack the basket, in my opinion. And 
Maybe this is why when you have a young coach who is really going through his first playoff series, and this isn't the opening round anymore. This is the Eastern Conference Finals. And you're going up against, I think, the most disrespected team in the NBA playoffs, the Miami Heat. I think you're going up against one of the most underrated players in the in the in probably the past five years in the postseason in Jimmy Butler. Um, I think a lot of people forget how good he was in the bubble. Um, now, last year he wasn't very good, and they got, what, didn't they get swept out of the first round? But... Jimmy Butler is a big-time player in big-time games. Like, that's a guy that you know is going to show up and contribute. And I think there's a lot of people around the league who just assumed that Boston was going to be better than Miami. Well, I got news for you. I think Miami and Boston are very equal basketball teams. You look at the balance that the Miami Heat bring to the floor on a nightly basis, and and I don't sit here and profess to be the biggest Tyler Hero fan because I'm certainly not. But he has stepped his game up this year, there's no doubt defensively, there aren't many teams that can rival Boston defensively. Miami may be a slight bit better than Boston is defensively. You look at the way that Miami pressed up to the to the half-court stripe last night, that's where all those turnovers changed the third quarter. Yeah. It wasn't in the post. It Now, granted, there were some really bad passes, and Jason Tatum had two of the worst turnovers that you could imagine in a playoff game. But it was it was Miami pushing up and pressuring the ball as it came over the timeline, and I think I think that was a big part of why Miami was so successful in the second half. Yeah, and I think that Miami. So I guess the first thing I would say is Eric Spolstra is 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 very seasoned, tenured, been through it a ton. Like he these these moments and these runs, like when Boston's going to do its thing. Spolstra's not going to be not going to be worried. He's not going to be stressed. I mean, he's 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 been through enough of these games where it's not surprising that you know, hey, Miami came out slow last night and you're down. I think they were down like 13 at one point or whatever in the first half. Like like they were down, you know. And then they come back to win and they do that on defense. And that is kind of like quintessential Heat basketball. And I think that's the 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 pushing up to the half court line. The the you know just the aggressiveness that they play with. They're only able to do that because of the athleticism through the roster. And, and and I know, you know, the point I want to make here is, like, I know, obviously, we talk a ton of jazz on this show, and with them being eliminated, we're not right now. But when you watch the Heat, or even when you watch the Celtics, you know, like, when you watch them play defense, watch how fluid it is. Watch how much they're able to move. I mean, you're getting up to, the, getting up to essentially the half-court stripe and making it uncomfortable for whoever they decide to bring the ball up. That's key defensively I mean hell there was even a whole narrative last week about how Chris Paul you know when he's pressured full court uh does not have nearly the game that he does when you just let him bring it up so I I think I think it's a great point and that's why I say this is going to be a really deep series because both of these teams are very athletic they're very good defensively you're just going to go back and forth and that's why I think this is a proper Eastern Conference Finals this year you mean this is why uh, anyway, the point is, yeah. so that was a BYU reference. That oh, I see. You, I you see. Didn't get Got it. it. Anyway, Got the it. point is, Got it. Um, I think Boston wins the series. If it, it, you know, after game one, I, I just don't think we've seen Boston melt down the way they did in the third quarter very often. And I think they miss Marcus Smart. Um, obviously, Al Horford would have had a role to play in this series. He's in health and safety protocols. Um, so you're probably not going to see him for another week or so. But you really need to get Marcus Smart healthy and back on the floor with this foot thing. Um, my guess is you're going to see that, uh, it, 
I just think he's such an integral part of that team, especially defensively. And, you know, he is going to be able to defend across multiple positions against Miami. And I, I think that's huge. But again, I just, I go with the Jimmy Butler mantra. I think Jimmy is, is wildly underrated in this league. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that you just don't talk about, you know, and, and he was a problem in his career. Um, but I think getting dumped by, by Philadelphia changed Jimmy Butler. I think Jimmy Butler forced his way out of Chicago and Minneapolis. And I think Jimmy Butler thought that he was the guy in, in Philly. And I think they dumped him. And I think that, that he took that very personally. Definitely he did. No and, doubt about it. And I don't think there's any problem with him taking that personally. Hell, if you're a professional, you want to take that personally. Yeah. Um, and I think you saw that with his, his, his yell at Tobias Harris going in the locker room the other night when they ended that Philly series. I think you're seeing him wear that and I think that makes him very dangerous and I think when you look across that lineup I think Bam Adebayo delivered last night we've talked a lot about bigs um in this league and the in the the role that a, a, a five has to play on a basketball team I think you saw that out of Bam Adebayo last night I think his ability to play defense and block shots is unquestioned but I also think his ability to um you know get into the the mix and give you 10 points four boards and assist four block shots. Yeah. I mean, they got 10 blocks out of their starting five last night. Well, and that was one of the biggest adjustments from first half to second half. I, I mean, it was, it was one of these things where in the first half, you know, everybody expected Miami to come out slow, you know, because they hadn't played in a minute and you know, that you just, you kind of got to get back into the groove. So nobody was surprised that, that, you know, Boston had a bit of a lead, but I think what really happened here is, you know, Miami goes to, to the locker room at the half. And they're just like, hey, we got to turn it up here. We got to turn it up defensively. You know, first half's over. They had their time, but now it's our time. And so what you what that looks like for Miami, and specifically with Bam, is, you know, he's going to get that block. I think you said four blocks last night. He's going to get that block. He's then going to run down in transition. He's going to set that pick, but then he's going to get the roll to the basket going. And that's what's so impressive about Bam to me, is that whether it's Tyler Hero with the ball in the pick and roll, whether it's Jimmy... Um, you know, earlier in the year, whether it was Kyle Lowry when Kyle was playing, like Bam has great chemistry with all these guys. And that's why I think you see their team defense is so good because they play together offensively and defensively. And that's tough to stop. Well, if you're going to have 10 steals and 12 blocks and you're going to create 16 turnovers, it's going to be difficult to beat you. Um, and I think that's what that's what Miami relies on, that kind of defense. I don't know. My my opinion is Boston played really crappy basketball last night. And if I'm a Celtics fan, I, I'm not concerned yet. If I'm a fan of the Boston Celtics, I am not concerned about this series. I obviously don't like what I saw out of Jason Tatum last night. Um, I don't like what I saw out of the defense. There were some moments where I think you really understand why Marcus Smart's a defensive player of the year. Yeah. Um, I don't like what I saw out of them defensively. But there was just that thing where I don't know if it was a lack of intensity. I think it's very difficult to play energetic basketball with coming out of a series like you came out of with Milwaukee with one day of rest. Yep. Um, I think it's very difficult to be intense, but to just have Jason Tatum turn and throw the ball and not even look, and that's an easy turnover. To have Jimmy Butler walk up behind Jason Tatum and simply take the ball from him, that's an easy turnover. Like those are Those things tell me that Perhaps Boston is mentally tired, but I'm telling you, watching game two, how many times does Jason Tatum trot up the floor bitching at an official 
and Miami winds up with an open look or a layup. Yeah. Because that's got to come to an end right now. And I think one of the tests of this Boston team, frankly, is who's going to say that to Jimmy Butler? Well, I don't think you need to say that to Jimmy Butler because he's a guy that's a killer in the playoffs. So on Boston's side, who's going to say that to Jason Tatum? Because we don't know if JT's a killer in the playoffs yet. I think Marcus Smart would you be know? that guy. Honestly, I think he's one of the only guys on that team yeah. that'd be able to say that to Jason Tatum. And and I think that, you know, I think it's interesting you say we don't know if Jason Tatum's a killer or not. I feel like that's pretty on point. Like, I feel like we Jason Tatum has had big moments. You know, um, I think it was, I, I don't think it wasn't last year, I think the year before where he's got that dunk on LeBron and that whole exchange. And, you know, like he's had his moments in the postseason, but at the same time, they got to get to the NBA Finals. Like, like I, I think for this, because there's a lot of talk about how this is one of the best postseason runs, or this could be one of the best postseason runs ever out of a player. But I got news for you. You got to beat Miami. You got to get to the NBA Finals first. And I think, you know, the scary thing is, is Jimmy can just rise up over you and hit a mid-range shot on your best player, and there's nothing you're doing about that. So, yeah, I do think Boston's got to play turnover-free as possible basketball. You can't just be gifting Miami six, seven, eight, nine extra possessions a game because they're going to make you pay. Well, it's 16. 16 they turned the ball over. Night, like They turned the ball over 16 times last night and, and gave up 19 points. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, you only lost by 11. So, I mean, cut your turnovers in half. The other thing is, by the way, real quick, not to, you know, get too far into the minutiae, but at what point do teams in this this playoff season start making free throws? Because teams that are losing playoff games are missing free throws, and it and it's killing them. Like I look at I look at Boston last night, twenty four of thirty two. You missed eight free throws, seventy five percent. You lost by eleven points. So control what you can control. Don't turn the ball over sixteen times and and give up um, nineteen points. Don't give away eight points at the free throw line when Miami is 30 of 34 for 88%. Like if Boston cleans this, this stuff up and it's not little, I almost said cleans this little stuff up. The turnovers and the free throws are not little. Yeah. You got to make your free throws. And I think if Boston cleans that up, that's why I said, I, I just don't feel like this is some catastrophic loss that has ended this series or some statement game out of Miami. Yeah. Miami played well. They defended their home court as they need to. But I think Boston, Boston, if they can get Marcus Smart back and if they can clean some of this up, and certainly Jalen Brown can't go six of 10. Um, you know, and if you look at the guys that missed free throws on this team, it's Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum missed two. Jalen missed four. Robert Williams was six of seven. I thought he played very well. Yeah. But again, they got to clean this little stuff up. You got to get better three-point shooting on a Derek White if that's possible. And Grant Williams has to shoot at least five threes a game for them to win. Yeah, agree. He's got to shoot at least five threes a game. So anyway, and then of course, the, the main course is tonight, um, which is Golden State. And I'm super stoked about this series. Golden State and Dallas um, took a lot of heat on the YouTube channel in the comments section over what I said about Luca being a little bitch the other morning. Uh, and I know people are upset that I said, oh, Luca's a little bitch and his mom's hot and I'd smash. What the fuck are you talking about? I actually never said that. What I said was that Luca's performance in game seven against the Suns wasn't special to the point where that's why they won the game. And people lost their minds over that. 
You understand that in that game seven against Phoenix, Spencer Dinwiddie had a historic performance. Second all-time most points scored by a bench player in a game seven. Ever. Ever. Spencer Dinwiddie, in my opinion, was the guy who had the special performance. Mm -hmm. And and I I keep going back to this, and it's what I say about Jimmy Butler three minutes ago. Jason Tatum with Boston. Steph Curry with Golden State. Luka Doncic with Dallas. Those guys always get their 30 points, it seems like. Those guys are always right up there. What did JT have last night? Jason Tatum had 29 points yeah. last night. Your best player is going to score 30 points in, in, a, in a big playoff game. You would expect that, right? To me, it's always the secondary guys. Like, I'm telling you now, Golden State needs more points from Draymond Green. He's got to perform tonight. In my opinion, the 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 matchup in this series, obviously it's going to be Luka against whoever they rotate to him and whoever they switch to him. Probably Draymond. Right? But Draymond Green's got to score points. He has got to, in my opinion, have an impact on this series at the offensive end because I think Draymond's defense is, is, is fine. I think defensively, Golden State matches up quite well with Dallas. Yeah. The question for Dallas, and I know that Luka's a fucking god, and oh my god, he's amazing, and who's the secondary player that's going to step up for them? Because Spencer Dinwiddie, as we all know here in Utah, was trash a lot of that Utah series. Yeah. He was not a good three-point shooter. And then he eliminates the Suns with a 30-point game that largely came from the three-point line. And that's kind of who he is as a guy. So, but but my question is, who's the secondary player that steps up? What do you get out of Jalen Brunson in this series? Because Golden State's got a lot of length at the guard position, and I think it's going to be more difficult for for Jalen Brunson to operate in the paint mm-hmm. in this series because the thing that Golden State does, and they're not an elite defensive team, but they're very good defensively because they have guys who are very similar to each other in that they can switch. And you're not going to have these awkward DeAndre Ayton who doesn't want to play defense on Luka Doncic moments. Yeah. You're not. When you run Draymond Green at the five, one of the luxuries is you can switch him on to Luka and that's not going to be the end of the world. Right? So what does Maxi Kleba do in this series? What is a guy like Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie? Where is, in, in in my opinion, I still think you're you're waiting for a, you know a Bullock to step up and have a huge game. Yeah, because that really hasn't happened since the Utah series. Well, it's going to be required to beat Golden State. I and, mean, you, you're going to need those guys. But what about Dorian Finney-Smith? Like all of these guys have been very quiet recently. Very quiet. Jalen Brunson had some nice moments in the Phoenix series, but wasn't quite the same player he had been against Utah. Right. Well, the Jazz are not a good defensive team. Like, okay, we can understand that. But you got a special performance out of Spencer Dinwiddie to to beat Phoenix, right? And a historically, that's the other thing a lot of people don't talk about in Game 7. That was a historically bad performance out of the Phoenix Suns in Game 7. Yeah. Historically bad. Like, futile, historic because futility out of the Phoenix Suns in that game. You're not getting that from Golden State, in my opinion. So you're going to have to have guys step up and play at a significant level if you're the Dallas Mavericks. And you haven't seen that yet this postseason from Dorian Finney-Smith. You haven't seen that consistently since the Utah series out of Jalen Brunson. Maxi Kleba. Like, 
Who's the guy? That's my biggest question tonight is who steps up for Dallas. Yeah, and I think I think it's super relevant and I think it's going to be it's it's almost I mean it's going to be required in every game of the series. You know, you're going to have to have in whether whether it's Brunson for for two of those games or whether it's you know a different guy each game, they're going to have to have that second guy give them 25-ish or more. You know, like that's just going to be required, but I think another huge factor is pace of play. You know, yes. Dallas Dallas loves to play slow. Luka loves to get his one-on-one matchup, like you were just saying, and and kind of play that way. And, and that's not who Golden State is. Golden State, it's like, I, I honestly think the Memphis series with Golden State was a true test of their absolute ability to play defense. You know, that was a very physical series, run up and down, like took took a toll on your body type series. And so if I'm Golden State, what I'm trying to do is, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to play really good defense, but I want to get out and I want to run, and I want to tire out Luka, and I want to get in his head, because that's what we haven't seen in this postseason yet. We haven't seen a team yet get in Luka's head, get him frustrated, and get him into that place where he's not productive. You know, All- he's not a he is not a a well trained athlete, Luka mm-hmm. Doncic. And I think one of the things that not a lot of people talk about is he came into this season out of shape. He did not come into this season in the best shape of his life dealing with that calf injury. Like, I think if Golden State can get out and play with pace, you can you can take advantage of Luka. And I also think that he's a very emotional player on the best of times and the worst of times. And I think if you can hit a lot of threes and you can force him, you can force him into the paint. And the other question I want to have uh, or want to talk about with Golden State is, how dirty are the dogs going to be in the paint? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, how... how how physical is Golden State willing to be with Luka? Because one of the, the missed opportunities in the Phoenix series, multiple times, and this is another knock on DeAndre Ayton, you had opportunities to really rake the arms of Luka Doncic. And when you get physical with Luka, he does not like it, and usually it takes him off his game. But we haven't seen anybody get physical with Luka Doncic. Utah certainly didn't do it. The Suns certainly didn't do it. And my question is, does a guy like Draymond Green have any hesitation to put a a, a forearm or a, a, a swipe down into Luka's arms? Because I don't think he does. Yeah. And I think if you do that, if you get physical, and I am not advocating for dirty play in any way, shape, or form, but if you'll get physical with Luka Doncic in the paint, make him pay for every layup that he wants – I think that is absolutely one route to getting him off his spot. How much as part of that though? Like, how much risk is there in the way the game's being officiated? Because I think we've seen a lot of. There's been a lot of these flagrants called that, frankly, just in my opinion, shouldn't have been flagrants. I mean, Tatum had one. Um, I think it was against the Bucks. It might have been Game Six or, yes. or Seven, where you know he's just going up, his natural motion going up to the rim, and I think it was Connaughton that he hit in the face with his elbow. But it's not on Tatum. Connaughton's face is like right next to his arm. So I agree with you. Yes, get physical with Luca and try to beat him up. But also, how do you how do you based on the way it's being officiated? How do you kind of find find that balance? And I, and I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to spread out the fouls. Oh, almost. it's risky. I, I mean, you're you anytime you get physical in this game, you're risking a, a flagrant. Um, I, I mean, I, I think you. Guys like Draymond are professionals. I mean, like he knows how to commit a foul. And I think you have to commit professional fouls. I mean, yeah. it is it, you cannot hit a guy in the head or neck. You can't because it's going to be a flagrant foul. I mean, they they have shown that, that they are going to protect players going to the rim. But I think you, you absolutely 
have to get physical. All right, let's get some of your thoughts in here. Rudy Sanchez, Greg Hawkins, what's up? Um, he went back to BYU, Greg Hawkins did. He said, teams cancel games. BYU canceled Utah State. Utah canceled BYU. It's understandable, absolutely. Connor Jensen, what's up? Uh, he says, they only have two non-con games left after the cancellations. And I think it's like Arkansas and SUU or something stupid like that. Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to need to find another one. Um, Jeremy Bolton, good morning to you. Big Dog O-Town says, I tried to tell y'all, Heat and Warriors, uh, Final Butler uh, is a bonafide beast. He is. Shout the Mobamba. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Butler in the finals is a is a load. He's he's. I think he's having a great playoff run. I really do. He's he's yeah. very clearly trying to prove a point. So yeah, Big Dog, I, I give you a lot of credit for that. What's up, Gabe Ledley? Says my brothers from other mothers. Yes, uh, Little Lope, by the way, is having quite the athletic season. I see. Uh, as he's, um, I believe, uh, uh, Gabe's little guy is uh, playing for a championship in baseball. Um, if I remember right, uh, James Knight says, welcome back. Part-time casuals. What's up? And Garcia, good morning to you. He says more points from green. LOL. He's a triple single guy, my friend. Well, they're going to need him to score points. Yeah. Uh, I, they are going to need him to contribute offensively. And I'm not saying they need 20 points from him because they don't. But he is going to be open at the three-point line. It's the timely three. Yeah, that, he, it's what it's always been. He is going to be open, and and by the way, he he is going to have opportunities to finish on the break in this series as well. Because let's let's be honest, Golden State's at their best when he gets the rebound and and is running. Yes, he's going to have opportunities to finish because you know Dallas is going to have to aggressively attack the three-point line defensively. They are going to have to really try to push guys off their spot and close out threes. And Draymond's going to have open looks because of that. Because whether it's it's obviously Steph and Clay, but you know, no matter who you have there, you you've got to get them off because Golden State shoots a three very well. And that's the magic of their team. I mean, you 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 were talking a lot about how Dallas needs its role players to be productive, and I think it's this thing where you know, it's basic. It's essentially Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock versus Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga in this series, you know, and, and who's going to be more impactful, who's going to play the better defense, who's going to get to the line more in those minutes where, you know, you've got the Lucas and the Stephs and the Clays not in the game. And that ultimately is where I feel like a series of this magnitude is decided. Because, again, you got to remember, these Dallas is, with, with a Jason Kidd-led team, Dallas knows how to strategically play a game to make it so they're playing to their advantage. That's what I felt like Phoenix did a really piss-poor job of in their series. They played Dallas Mavericks basketball instead of playing Phoenix Suns basketball the whole series, which is why Dallas won. Yeah, and I, I think when you, you compare Golden State and Dallas, the depth is definitely interesting. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have a prolific scorer in pool coming off the bench. You're going to have, you know... It, you know, it, who's healthy, who's not, but the auto porters of the world, like you're going to have guys coming off the bench for Golden State. And this is why I ask about the, the role players for Dallas. I mean, I, you, when you when you don't have the the guy coming off the bench, you can't have guys like Maxi Kleba in this series having a bad series. You can't have Spencer Dinwiddie score 10 points in a game. Like, he's just too important. Yeah. Because, again, Luka's going to get his 30. That's who that guy is. He is he is going to get his 30. He's going to piss you off. He's going to flop. He's going to, you know, do all the talking to your fans. And you're going to hate Luka Doncic. That's just who the guy is. Yeah. But there's two things that are sure in this series. Luka's mom is going to be hot. And you and I both know that somebody else for, for Dallas is going to have to step up. Yep. And I'm curious who that's going to be. Um. Because again, 
I, 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 I think it, they're better off if it's Jalen Brunson. Yeah. If Jalen Brunson gets hot and scores 20, I'd rather, you know, I, if you're a Dallas fan, frankly, I think you would want, you know, Brunson and Dinwiddie to go off, but that has not been who they are. Yeah, and I think they, they've struggled to find the balance between Brunson and, and Doncic when they're both on yeah. the floor, you know? And, and I think that's that's the biggest thing. Like, I, I Brunson had a hell of a series against the Jazz. Then he rolls up in Phoenix and isn't really able to do too much. And then they kind of went away from it because Luka had come back. And so now, like, I really do feel like them playing the Warriors, it really is going to test them to the highest level because, again— the Warriors, uh, again, are very balanced. They have a lot of ball movement in the offense. They run really well. Like They do a lot of things that, that are going to test your ability, and, a, and, a, and it really puts the onus on guys like Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie is different than Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith and Bullock. Dinwiddie is a guy who needs to come off the bench literally every single game in this series and just put the ball in the hole. That has to happen for them to win. If he has that 10-point game, yeah. it's over. I also wonder what what do we see out of Kaminga in this series? A lot of fouls. That's what I think you see. I think you see a lot of switching on to Luka, and I think he's going to get him into foul trouble. But how many like how many DMPs will he take in this series? You know, like it, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how many minutes and how Steve Kerr uses him because looking at, you know, looking at their depth, I I mean you you don't have a lot of guys and everybody trims their rotations for for the deeper you get, the fewer guys you're playing. You know, but if if Otto Porter is inconsistently available to you, can you really beat the Dallas Mavericks playing seven eight guys, right? Can you can you really beat the Dallas Mavericks playing Poole and Lee as your only guys off the bench? And maybe this is where we finally see that they miss Peyton. Um, you know, like that people have yeah. not ruled him out to come back. I think it'd be a miracle. But can you really live playing seven guys more than ten minutes? Can can you really? That's a question that I have about Golden State. And I wonder if Jonathan Kaminga is a guy that Steve Kerr just doesn't trust yet. He Obviously, he's still a very young player. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, how does that work out? And the the other question I think is interesting is, you know, how many minutes does Looney play on a nightly basis in this series? Yeah, I think that matchup between Looney and, and Kleba is going to be one to watch, you know, because Looney's no slouch defensively, and Kleba's not just going to have wide open look after well, wide open look. And you're not going to play a big. Like, I mean, Dallas doesn't have a, a, a typical pro, you know, five center guy. Yeah. Like, that's not what their team is built around. And, and, they're going to play a lot of what has commonly been coined as five out. Um, I think you're going to play small ball and you're even your bigs, even, even, you know, the Davis batons of the world or the, the, you know, any of these guys that are big for Dallas, they don't really play big. They they're wing players. So that's, this is the, the, the battle. Like, I mean, I think Jason Kidd has surprised a lot of people with his adjustments and the way that he's come into uh, his own during this playoff run. But, I mean, you're going up against one of the best X's and O's coach in the NBA and Steve Kerr, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think, obviously, Steve's had a lot of time here to prepare. I mean, he's had days to prepare for this series. So, I'm interested to see how Steve Kerr plays his rotations. And, and I, think, I think that's going to be one of the more interesting things to watch tonight. And if I'm Steve Kerr, I'm going after Luka on the defensive end. I mean, who's who? think about it. With the roster that Steve Kerr has to work with, who is Luka going to keep up with? Because you're not putting Luka on Steph, obviously. You're definitely not putting Luka on Clay Thompson, in my opinion, because Clay's going to run around a ton. Wiggins? 
I guess Wiggins, right? Like, I don't know. I, I could see a scenario where you have Luka, you know, potentially matched up with Draymond for a few possessions. Like, you're essentially trying to, if you're Jason Kidd, you're trying to keep Luka out of a situation where he's got to run his ass off on defense and then he's too tired to play offense. Yeah, I'd be switching him to, to Steph. That I mean, that would be, I'd run pick and roll to switch Luka onto Steph and yeah. wear his ass out. Because yes. again, Luka Doncic is not a well-conditioned athlete. He is he is he is a guy who likes his food and his drink and I he is to me he is vulnerable if you can make him work hard defensively. Totally. So we'll see what that looks like and by the way you already know that the guy has a calf thing cuz you know he's not fully healed from that calf. He may be playing at a very high level, but those calf injuries don't go away until you have months to recover. They just seem to pop up at the worst time. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so I mean I'd be I'd be trying to switch you know, and my guess is that you're going to see Luca play a bunch of different roles here. Um, you know, I and and Golden State can can switch multiple times. I mean, they they have they run sets to get the matchup that they want. And Steph is fantastic. He might be the best off-ball player in this league. Steph Curry. He is really good away from the basketball. So yeah, I I think that's a that's a very good point. Let's get yeah. some of your uh, thoughts in here. Uh, Jeremy Bolton says you'd think Dinwiddie is the next Caruso or something. You're well, casual. I don't see how you watch the Dallas Mavericks, especially in Game Seven, and really in the the Jazz series as well. I don't know how you watch Dallas and don't see his importance to that team. Yeah, I mean that he is he that that Game Seven that he put up. That's one of the best game sevens for a bench player in the history of the NBA playoffs. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at the numbers, it's a historic performance. That's the second most points ever in a game seven by a bench player. Ever. I think Eddie Johnson had 34 and Dinwiddie had 30. Number two all time. Like, he is really capable. He is a guy that is very important to them. If he's hitting threes, Luka's a far more lethal player. Yeah. If no Spencer doubt. Dinwiddie's hitting threes, man. No they doubt. are tough to beat. And Garcia, good morning, too. He says, Golden State had their own historically bad performance in the second round against Memphis. They were very up and down. I think that's a great point. Yeah. They were really up and down against Memphis. And that that's why I don't have a high I don't have a high confidence level that Golden State's going to win this series. I think it's going to be a very close series. And, again, any time that you rely on the three ball, you're susceptible to, to drought. And I, I look at Golden State – they're best when they're running and they're shooting threes. That's when they're at their best. And if we learn anything from the Jazz this season, when the three ball goes away from a team that lives on the three ball, you're in real trouble. You are in real trouble. And I think the only thing that that potentially helps Golden State in that, that light is that Dallas is heavily relying on the three ball as well. Mm -hmm. And I also think that Golden State does a good job defending corner threes. Or they have the the ability to do good work defending corner threes, which is where Dallas gets really dangerous. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think Dallas has the weapons. I think they have across the board, whether it's Dinwiddie, whether it's Bullock, whether it is Dorian Finney-Smith. They have guys that Jalen Brunson shoots a three while he just doesn't take a lot of them. You know, they have a lot of guys who can beat you uh, in the and on that Dallas bench and. I don't know who it's going to be, but they're going to need somebody outside of Luka Doncic to have a really good series. Yeah, if the Warriors are going to win this series, it's in six. If Dallas is going to win, it's going to have to be in seven. I just don't see any other way for Dallas. We'll see. That Luka switching thing is, is I think it's the key to the series. How many, how many matchups does Luka Doncic win or lose? Mm -hmm. Because, 
you know, Rudy versus Rudy Gobert versus Luka Doncic. Too many times, if you're Dallas, went to Rudy Gobert. But then when it really counted in the postseason, almost all the time it went to Luka Doncic. Yeah. So Luka's pretty good in these situations, if you haven't noticed. I mean, he is that I'm he's he's 30 points a night. I mean, he's a killer in my opinion. I mean, he just he 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 he's a scorer, man. He makes he's it elite. look easy. Absolutely. Like he, he, I, I I'm with you. I hate the antics. I hate how he kind of goes about it. But there's no doubt. Like, and that's kind of why I think a lot of people said that Phoenix performance was special just because of the way you know it went down. You know, like it used to be that you know like the Le- Le- LeBron level player would just bully you and get yeah. to the cup. And now this guy's coming out and doing it from you know 30 feet away, which is kind of scary. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm curious to see. You know, that's a really good point. Um, James Knight says, I'm taking bets on which game Draymond gets tossed from. Does that happen in this series? Because they've <laughs> yeah. talked for so many years now, several years, since, especially since Clay got hurt. We got to get back. We got to get back. We want to mm-hmm. get back. We want to get back. This is, you know, this is not who we are. Well, now you're in the Western Conference Finals being who you've, you've been for a long time. And does Draymond Green rein that in a little bit because you're not going to Draymond Green and telling him to, to rein it in. You're not that you do not want Draymond Green playing any less than on the edge, right? Like you want that guy on the edge of a technical foul, every possession, mm-hmm. he's going to wave his hands. He's going to yell and scream. That's, that's how he plays basketball, but you need him in these games. And James, I actually think that's a really good point. Does he get ejected in this series? And can he get into Lucas' head? I, I, Draymond Green without getting ejected. Yeah, Draymond Green, man, is is one of the best in the league at at you know not necessarily the quality of the trash talk, but just how he goes about it and his ability to get you off your the game. The mental game. Yeah, he Draymond Green is very good at getting under your skin. Yeah, he is very. It's why he's so respected on the floor. Yeah, because he is a force to be reckoned with, no matter if he's got the ball or not. He yeah. is. He's difficult. Uh, let's see. Jo- Whoa. Comment dump. Uh, Jordan McDonald says Luca's a little bitch, but he is a top five player. Yeah, he is. Fucking A. Yeah, he is. I am not a Luka Doncic fan. That's not a secret. Yeah. Like I hate, I hate, I hate the flopping. I cannot stand it. And I cannot stand like last night, Jason Tatum. Um, and I can't remember who it was. He Dwayne Dedman, maybe, or Bam Adebayo. He swipes down and hits a guy in the face. Like, he hit him in the face. They blew the whistle. And what did Jason Tatum do? Jumping up and down, waving the finger, review it, review it. You hit the fucking guy in the face, dude. Yeah, how is this even a question? What are you doing? Yeah. And and the issue with that is, and this is what Luka does all the time. It's what Rudy Gobert and Boyan Bogdanovich do all the time. They commit a foul. They bitch and whine about it. And then the officials after the game go back and look at that. And they know that you made contact. Yeah. So you like it hurts you, so that's it, it. The flopping fake call outrage thing is a pet peeve of mine. I cannot stand it. I just I would just rather guys roll it. up and get their money's worth. Like if you're gonna hit a guy in the face, get your money's worth. You know, it's that, one of the things. You know, if you look at look at who your favorite player is, they I, they always do it. Like Devin Booker is one of my favorite players. I hate that he whines at the officials all the time. Yeah. I like that I hate that he's always waving his finger. Shut up and play basketball, man. Yeah. Like if you're a star on Luca's level, LeBron's level, um, you know, Kobe used to do it all the time too, and I hated it. Like when you're on that level, there is no reason to be complaining to the official. You're getting 
a ton of calls. Rudy Already. Gobert. Rudy Gobert gets a ton of calls. They never call the illegal screen. They never call him for pulling the jersey. But I think that gets discounted, right? Like if you're Rudy, you don't you don't put weight on the fact that they're not calling the illegal screen yeah. and all the antics. Like like that's the problem for these guys. They don't they're not they're not thinking, "Oh, well hey, I'm I'm basically abusing this guy in the pick," but they're not calling that. So I'm not going to complain about this. Or I'm under this. the basket grabbing a guy's jersey. Yeah. And I'm not getting, they're not calling me for that. Like, I think it's, you just, we've lost hold of the the art of politics on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one of the things that I just can't stand. And everybody does. You'll see it on both sides. It's why, yeah. it's why Draymond Green drives me crazy. Constantly yelling, constantly waving his arms at the officials like... At some point, can we just play basketball? Yeah. Like, we waste so much time on reviews. In critical moments, we're spending three, four, five minutes looking at a play. Bro, if it took you three, four, five minutes to review it, it don't overturn it. And this is kind of why I'm glad you don't get... Like, I'm on the fence about this. But from that standpoint, I'm actually kind of glad that you don't get the review back. Because I think that makes the the use of the review dynamic. You have to think about, okay... I only get to do this one time. Do I really want to use it on a Jason Tatum? Hey, I didn't hit this guy in the face when it's pasted when your arm is pasted all over his damn face. Yeah. You know, like I think that's a really interesting thing that goes on in games right now. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, it, it'll be interesting. Brandon Whiteside, good morning to you. He says, Who had the better season? One seed Suns losing in the second round in game seven or five seed jazz with locker room what are you talking about? The Suns had a far better season than the Jazz did. I saw this yesterday on Twitter, too. Oh, it makes me feel better that uh, the Jazz lost to, you know. No, it doesn't make you feel better. The Jazz were trash this year. They It was a year too long. You wasted a season of Donovan Mitchell. I mean, like, it, it shouldn't make you feel better about anything. Yeah. Like, what Dallas did, like, it shouldn't make you feel better. Like, it, the, the if you're a Jazz fan, nothing Dallas is doing now makes you feel better about how bad you were about how many wrong decisions management made. None, nothing should make you feel better. And there's no conversation around, did the Jazz have a better season than the Suns? Yeah, that's not really a... There's no conversation around yeah. that. The money the Suns made just in more playoff games should hurt your feelings. Like, the, yeah. that's the thing that you, you you don't understand. And, and like, with these uniforms that are going to be released next week, right? Because... Mm. You know, I was talking to my jazz guy yesterday and he was saying, yeah, the uniforms are going to come out and the world's going to end. Like literally the jazz know how much people hate their new uniforms <laughs> already. And I, I straight up asked, Hey, are these, are the black and yellow things that, and he, the guy, he just wouldn't talk to me about it. He's like, you have to wait till next week, which was telling me they're coming out next week without saying, Hey, they're coming out next week. Uh-huh. The money that the jazz are not going to make on that new uniform on top of the money that they didn't make playing playoff games, on top of, on top of, on top of, like financially this year has been a disaster for the Utah Jazz. So there's no, hey, the Suns had a better year. That that does That's not even a conversation. Uh, Eric says Kaminga won't play at all. I hope you're wrong. I would love to see him get, he's a really important figure for this team. Whether they trade him or keep him, he's going to have a big impact on you. So I think that's hugely important. Tanner Plummer says, my brain tells me the Warriors win the series, but my gut tells me the Mavs win. Hey, guys. I think that I, if, you're, if you're a betting man, you're going with the Warriors. Yeah. I don't even think it's a case. Um, 
Jeremy Bolton says, I can't believe I forgot Hey Bear and Double Team Book. What's Double Team Book got to do with anything? Uh, Eric and Raleigh says, I think the Warriors are going to play um, Bielitsa 12 to 16 minutes a night in this series. Well, we'll see. You know, we'll see. I just, I, I, I they have options. They have options. Yeah. I mean, wh- when you look at the way that they, they have built this team, um, you know, I mean, they, everybody that they play, their first six guys can all be lethal. I mean, if you, yeah, probably not Looney. So let's call it five of their six guys. Yeah. Right. Like obviously Steph Clay pool, um, you know, are all guys that, that can, can score 30 points in a game. They can end the game. You look at Andrew Wiggins, you know, he's a guy that can, can score 30 points in a game. I mean, you got four guys that are capable of 30-point performances on any night. They all shoot threes. They all get to the rim. Like They can all defend Luka. <laughs> you know, like they're all – like the Golden State is deep. Like they're they're dangerous. They've – four of their top five guys and five of their top six guys, really, it, it, including Draymond, because I think Draymond is absolutely a guy that beats you whether he scores or not. Like his his point, point Dre, um, running up and down the floor, the rebounding, the defense, like the mental game, like – Five of their top six guys, and I only exclude Kevon Looney, five of their top six guys are absolutely difficult to deal with. Yeah. So Golden State is is very difficult. Very, very difficult. Um, let's see. George uh, Mashika says, Curry, Thompson, Kaminga, Wiggins, and Green will be your starting five. You're not starting Kaminga. I mean, you're, you're just – you're not. He they, There's too many holes in his game. I, I, I mean, I guess you could do that. I guess you could do that. We'll see. I don't. I don't know. I. I'd be surprised if that happened. I'd really be surprised. Um. You know, Eric and Raleigh says you want Green on that wall. You need Green on that wall. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you absolutely do. You know, it, it is. Um. You know, it is, and that's the thing with Draymond is that it. it Love hate relationship, bro. Man, I just cannot stand some of the antics from Draymond Green, but much like Luca. The guy is really impactful. You know, if you, you look at any of these guys that we're talking about, I they're they're really impactful, good players. You know, none of these get like Luka Doncic is is just a superstar. Yeah. No way I around just, it. I hate the way he plays the game. Yeah. I don't like the flopping and the whining and I Draymond Green, not a superstar, but he is a star. He's a stud. Hate the way he plays the game, the whining, the complaining, that can't stand it. They I mean you cannot get ejected from a playoff game. And I think Eric and Raleigh or whoever said it, um, you know, you guys are right. I mean, there's a chance he gets ejected here. James Knight taking bets on what game he gets ejected from. Like it just can't happen. So there's a, there, it just, it makes me crazy. Um, it, it truly does. Rudy obviously went to Stockton school of uh, pick setting and Jersey pulling. Yeah, that's true. Jazz fans will hate the new uniforms until they buy them. I, I don't know. I don't that this new jazz uniform is not one that grows on you, in my opinion. Like it is Yeah. It's very clean cut kind of simplistic Oof. vibe. Oof. Like it is uh we'll all bl- all black with simple white or yellow lettering. I, I just I'm not convinced that's it. Man, I'd be stunned if that's it. Well and the thing is is the organization has good heritage in uniforms. Oof. Like you have good uniforms. Oof. That's the problem. Oh, like it is. It would be uh, different if you had a uh, a collection of garbage uniforms oof. and you were just trying to like create a new one, but you don't. You had great uniforms, so we'll see. I have, yeah. like, 
That uniform. I, I, I still maintain. I still maintain. Yeah. If you're gonna, if you're gonna bring me these crappy uniforms, bring back the mountains. Yeah, dude. Like just. You got to bring back an iconic one. You have you gotta to do something. You have to because you can't. You cannot. In my opinion, just roll out with that uniform. Because I, it's I garbage. Man, dude, I I don't. Um, and I understand. Listen, I understand that Ryan Smith needs to put a stamp on the organization, and he needs to create his version of the Utah Jazz. And I get that. I don't even have a problem with it. But you got to understand the the hand that feeds, and that is your fans. You know, that is ticket sales. That is jersey sales. That is you know all like again. No, don't go there. Don't open. The but door. it's true, man. It, don't do it. Like I I just. It's true. I'm telling you, there is a lot of pressure on Ryan Smith right now. There is a lot of pressure on him. And whether it's these uniforms, whether it is the way that he's gone about player player payment, like player compensation, if these are the uniforms and it's a disaster, what has he gotten right? Yeah. Ryan Smith, there's <laughs> a lot of pressure on him right now. And he's learning. He's a new owner. I think it's why Danny Ainge is so incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, because he is, you know, he's the guy that's got the bug in the ear, man. Like, there's one guy yeah. that Ryan Smith it knows, and it's Danny Ainge. Ryan Smith needs a win. Ryan Smith needs, like, and I mean a big win. Like, holy cow, these are amazing. Oh, my God, they did this and got this guy, and... Like he needs a win right now. Yeah. Cause they have not, I mean, if you if you pay attention to the Jazz, there's not been a whole lot of wins recently. On the floor, off the floor, like it does not feel good to be a jazz fan the last six months. <laughs> this has been a tough stretch. Yeah. Right. This uniform that they're gonna release here soon. Yeah, hopefully I mean, listen, hopefully ah, they just need to get through the first, you know. They need to get through the offseason with it. And then I think once you see it on the floor, that always helps. But, yeah, it's we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I I, uh, I don't know. Uh, Rhett Smith says, does Andre Guadala play? I don't know, but he's been in a, a really instrumental force in the locker room. Like Steve Kerr the other day was talking about how Andre Guadala has been like a mentor slash coach. Um, to a lot of the guys on this club. And I think it's a huge impact. I think it's a huge contribution for him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, whether Iggy plays or not, he's having a huge role um, in what the Warriors are doing. So, yeah. you know. Uh, Eric and Riley says the Jazz jerseys that leaked are basic practice jerseys. They really are. Yeah. They really are. And I think that's what people have a problem oh. with. I mean, you're going, again, you're going from, you know, this beautiful white uniform with these gorgeous mountains on the front, like, you know, and again, maybe that's not everyone's cup of tea, but it it, it was an iconic but uniform. Look, even bro. look at the dark jersey. Yeah, the blue jersey. Even and I know you're not a biggest fan of the yellows, but I, I mean, again, at least those jerseys but, really lived but up to it. But the jerseys that they have been wearing this year, like the navy blue, the yeah, the dark, the dark city edition with the floor and like, they have some fire shirts, man. Like their stuff is good. What they're what what they've cockteased us with is not good. <laughs> This is terrible. So don't even think about messing with me. Right? Like, yeah, no, no, start. This is bad. No, 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 no. Um, George Mashika says, uh, if Lucas sometimes will give the ball to uh, Brunson and play more off ball, mo 
movement. I think Golden State will lose in the lose in the paint this series. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Eric and Riley says Ryan Smith fired Dennis Lindsay. He can coast down that for a couple of more years. Okay. Hey. Okay. Hey. Yeah, uh, heard. Like that's a win. <laughs> that's a win. Uh, Jeremy Moulton says if they really do roll out with these new jerseys, who in the hell uh, were they listening to? Guarantee ninety percent or more of fans will hate it. They've taken. There's a lot of polling out there already, um, and fans hate those jerseys. Yeah. And that's why I say I, I'm surprised they haven't released them already, and I think that's part of the reason why. I think that's part of the reason why. And I think – God, and you know, you're going to roll up to draft night in probably one of those and like, oh, Are I you going to unveil it at the draft? No, I think it's probably during the finals or right before the finals would be my guess. Yeah. Um, it's either right before or right after the finals. Yeah. I mean, I think that – and I honestly think this could be a Friday night, 6 o'clock, press release yeah because they, it's bad it's bad like i i honestly think that <laughs> i mean listen with dude, all due respect to the context you know you have at the jazz i mean it's not probably a great sign the hesitancy to talk about it or not it's not know? and yeah. they're they're i honestly and i talk to folks at the jazz on a pretty regular basis a couple times a week there is a high level of frustration over there right now there is some there is some of the people in that front office are frustrated with a lack of communication and direction mm-hmm um, some of the people in the front office are a little frustrated at how exit interviews went, um, or not went like there are yeah. the jazz for whatever reason, didn't do traditional exit interviews with their guys this year. Like they, they basically Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell didn't sit down for an exit interview. They have had ongoing conversations with the ball club. Like they're, they didn't sit down and, you know, like I know that everybody does exit interviews differently. Some it's a two, three hour conversation. Some it's a film session and a conversation, you know, like some got like it is what it is, but to do nothing at all. And just to have an ongoing conversation feels a little awkward to me. Yeah. And I think it plays into the frustration level that some people feel there. So we'll see. Um, let's see. And Garcia says, Danny, like castle, Danny, like Cassell champions on multiple levels. Okay. Uh, Jeremy Bolton says the purple classic Jersey uh, to me are the best ones. Oh yeah. Those are so clean. Yes. Absolutely. James Knight says I've got uh game three, uh six, four favorite for an early shower for Draymond. Okay. We'll see if that pays off. You still owe me four X gold and I'm not letting you out of that. Eric and Raleigh <laughs> says drop the new jazz Jersey in the middle of game. One of the finals, make sure no one sees them. Yeah. Friday night, five o'clock. Uh, and Garcy says, does Jake still think Iguodala went to the finals with the 76ers and AI? I don't did you I don't think I said I that he went to that. the finals. I don't think that's but the case. Either way, whatever. Which free agent will be good for the Jazz? Nah, no Another idea. day. Another day. Uh, Eric and Raleigh says, are the Jazz and AAU team? Well, they bring out that uniform. It's internal. You know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Appreciate you guys being here. A um, couple of interesting things to get to on the non-sports stories. Where do you want to start there, Jake? Ezra. All right, so Ezra Miller, the star of The Flash, um, hit a nerve last week with the folks in Hilo, Hawaii, on the Big Island. He was at a bar. People were singing karaoke. Apparently... They don't like karaoke. And so Ezra went up to those people and got in their face. 
and was yelling at people. So the people in the bar asked him to leave and he wasn't so wanting to leave. Um, and so when they asked Ezra to leave, they said no. And when they asked Ezra to leave again, they again said no. And they threw him out of the bar. And the cops were called and Ezra essentially ran from the cops. Um, they did not listen to commands when the cops said stop. When the cops said put your hands behind your back, they did not do that. And then when the cops finally caught up to Ezra, who is the star of The Flash, he did what Jake hates that people do. And unfortunately for Ezra, they were caught on tape talking about his penis and his amendment rights. Unlawfully persecuted for a crime of no designation, disorderly conduct being something I am unguilty of. I claim my Fourth Amendment rights to not be searched and seized on no probable cause that you will not be able to offer in a court of law. I claim my Fourth Amendment rights to not be searched and seized. Please do not touch my ring. Just to come off. Okay. You'll get it right my Fourth Amendment sir, rights sir, to not have right search here, and okay? seizure you know unlawfully right without probable cause. I claim my Fourth uh, Amendment rights to not be unlawful. Hey, you just touched my penis. Please don't do that. No, I'm not transgender, non-binary. I don't want to be searched by a man. Oh. I'm transgender, non-binary, and I don't want to be searched by a man. I claim my Fourth Amendment rights. These are Nerf guns, just in case you worry that they're bullets. Those are Nerf bullets. <laughs> Thank you for letting me. They are me fake, and they are a toy. Oh, bro. That is Ezra Miller, star of The Flash. Now, here's before we get to the cops, here's the thing. They are the star of The Flash. All you have to do is not be a jerk. That's all you have to do. Don't go to the bar. Don't do drugs. Don't get drunk. Whatever this was, because you can't tell me this is normal behavior. All they had to do was stay out of trouble. That's all they had to do. And they couldn't do it. You're in Hilo. You can't just have a nice time. Like, how hard is that? You're in Hawaii. I like, you, you can't. Like, I, I could kind of almost understand if, like, you were in your hometown or no, like he you, they, like I, it's it's they are the flash. And by the way, it's important to understand he is he, as he said there, he's non-binary. He's transgender and his his preferred pronoun is they or there. OK, so. Whether you agree with it or not, it is what it is, right? So they're the star of the flash. You're worth tens of millions of dollars. And all you have to do is stay out of trouble. That's all you have to do. And they couldn't do that. And now, he listen, you just finished filming a feature movie where you're the star of a DC comic film. That means set for life. All they had to do was stay out of trouble just until the movie came out. Then if you want to go piss off the cops and stuff, knock yourself out. Do do that, people. Like, go get it. But just let the movie come out because then you're set for life. You're This is your fourth movie as The Flash. Yeah. And you gave that all away. This is Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel not being able to get along with The Rock. You know, on the family movie, Fast and the Furious. Did you guys hear about this? Vin Diesel, who has made tens of millions of dollars, over $150 million, Vin Diesel, on Fast and the Furious. The Rock quit Fast and the Furious because Vin Diesel is that level of asshole. Now, the director of cinematography has quit 
the Fast and the Furious because Vin Diesel is that level of asshole, allegedly. Yeah. So then you're Ezra Miller, and all you have is the Flash. Because, frankly, nobody knows who you are. Yeah. Nobody knows the name Ezra Miller. Yeah. Until now. And so now they've delayed the release of the Flash, and they're talking about taking them out of the Flash and reshooting it so that they are not in the Flash. Say goodbye to your money, dude. Like, it, that, that's amazing to me. And then we get into the police thing. Do you have more audio you want to play? Not of Ezra. Okay. No. <clears throat> so then we get into the police thing. And I don't actually care what you choose to do when you interact with the cops. But you have to be respectful. But no one's going to disrespect me. Right? You have to be respectful. My advice to everybody who interacts with the police, because one of the things that bothers me so much about the cops is that the cops are trained to lie to you and trick you in order to, to capture evidence. Yeah. Because they need probable cause or consent to search your vehicle. So, and and I have been in my career, just so you're aware, not to tell you who I've been, oh, I'm a big deal, but I've done ride-alongs with gang units. I've done a lot of cop stories. Like, I've done a lot of police work. I've been in cars with cops who have schemed to pull somebody over and find probable cause to arrest them just because of the car they were driving in the neighborhood they were in. So what I always say is, if the cops pull you over, let's say speeding, the cop walks up to your car and says to you, hey, do you, do, do you know how fast you were going? The correct answer isn't, no, officer, I was unaware. The correct answer is, um, hello, officer. No, I'm not going to talk about my day or make small talk. Um, am I being detained or am I free to go? That's what you say to the cops. And when they say, well, where are you going? I'm not going to talk about my day. Am I being detained or am I free to go? Do not answer their questions. Hey, can I search your vehicle? The answer is no. I am not talking about my day. Are you detaining me or am I free to go? How about that? That's it. And when they say, well, you're being detained because I'm writing you a ticket. Okay, thank you very much. And then when they say, hey, can I have your license and registration? Sure, here you go. And that's it. Hey, where were you headed? I'm not talking about my day. Hey, where'd you come from? I'm not talking about my day. And then, then when they say, well, hey, you need to answer my questions. I don't. I mean, you, and I don't know how many people realize this with your Fifth Amendment rights, your rights not to, to, to incriminate yourself. You actually have to say, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment right. I'm not talking about my day. I'm not telling you where I came from or where I'm going. It's none of your business. And be polite. Be respectful. Hey, I'm, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. I'm not talking about my day. Am I being detained or am I free to go? That's it. Because it's stuff like this that you hear from, from people like Ezra Miller. This is why we have the issues we have with the cops. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff where you hear about, you know, the cops' illegal search and seizure. That's why he's claiming that. Unlawful. Hey, you just touched my penis. Please don't do that. Yeah, don't touch his penis. I'm not transgender, non-binary. I don't want to be searched by a man. Right? He's practiced that. He's been coached on that. Because there's so many issues with the cops. Yeah. But I cannot stand watching all of these videos of these people who go out and intentionally interact with the cops just to get them to do something wrong. Yeah. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I just, I think it's, it, there's... You know, it's all over TikTok and social media, and and I and I just don't enjoy the videos. You know, I don't enjoy 
that whole interaction you know there's just it's just not necessary you know and i understand hey rights and and there's a certain relationship you have to have with the police uh and and really i'm not afraid to say it depends on your skin color too right i mean it depends on you know are you white are you black are you hispanic like who who are you because based on that unfortunately in our country you're going to be treated differently when you're pulled over that's just a fact we know yes. that and you better be ready when, because you're, it's going to happen. All of us are going to get speeding tickets. All of us are going to get traffic stops, whatever. But I'm telling you right now, if you are, if you are black, Latino, Asian, if you are, and, and it's sad to say it in this country, white privilege is a real thing. I will never have to deal with the shit that black people and brown people have to deal with. I'll that's never, just true. I will never have to deal with it. Yeah. But but if I get pulled over, I'm telling you right now, I don't care what color your skin is. Do not engage with the cops. Answer their questions with a, I'm not talking about my day. I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. Am I being detained or am I free to go? And if they say you're being detained because I'm writing you a ticket, okay, great. Here's my license and my proof of insurance. Yeah. That's it. Because anything else, you're putting yourself in a jackpot, man. And do it respectfully. This is The other thing that I think we need to re realize and recognize right now is just like these cops in Hilo, Hawaii, this is a very difficult job. Yeah. You're always being videotaped. Facts. You, you can't fart in public without being caught on a camera. Yeah. It's a very difficult job under exceptionally difficult circumstances. So don't be an asshole like I have been in the past. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, I have not always been friendly when I've gotten pulled over. Um, Freely admit that. Um, but I've learned the hard way that you cannot argue with the police. So I've also learned the hard way that all you're asking for is trouble. And the number one thing that I would tell you is have that script ready to rock and roll. And I am not talking about my day. I am invoking my Fifth Amendment right. Am I being detained or am I free to go? You're, oh, I'm free to go? All right, sir, be safe. Have a great day, thanks. And then drive away. And if he says you're being detained for X, Y, Z, okay, great. Hey, can you roll the window down? I don't have to roll the window down. Here's my license. Crack the window and hand the guy your license if you don't feel safe. That's one of the biggest questions in public right now is do I have to roll the, the window down when the cops tell me to? You don't. You do not. What you have to do is when they say you're being detained and I'm writing you a ticket, you got to give them your license and proof of insurance. When they, when they tell you you're being detained for a, a traffic violation, I need your license and, and proof of insurance. Give it to them. Do not argue with them. Do not fight them. When they say, get out of the car, I'm arresting you, do not fight with them. Do not say anything. I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. I want an attorney. Done talking. That's it. Uh, all right, let's see. Um, and Garcy says, Monty's correct on how to deal with the popo, except if you're anything but Caucasian. Then they could uh, go horribly wrong real quick. I'm telling you right now, if you are not Caucasian, that script is going to save your life. And there, and the other thing is how you choose to deal with it after you roll that script out is really important. If the cops say, Hey, I want to search your vehicle. No, you cannot. I'm not giving you permission to search my vehicle. When they say I'm going to bring a drug dog. Okay, cool. And when they say, Hey, my drug dog alerted. Okay, cool. Go with it. Cause you're not going to fight it. If they say to you, and this is the thing that happens so often, people go too far. When they say to you, step out of the vehicle, hey, am I being detained? Yes, you are. Okay, step out of the vehicle and let them put you in handcuffs. Do not fight them. Do not run from them. Let it play out. Yeah. 
Because what happens when you fight and you run from him? It, it only goes nothing good for you. For you. <laughs> it just adds charges to the list. So if you have drugs in the car, do not let them search. Never. If you don't, never give consent to search your vehicle. Never, ever give the cops consent to search your vehicle. They have to have probable cause. And and they will talk to you. The, the, the thing is, and Garcia and everybody else that is listening to this, the thing that you don't understand is the cops are trained to use deceptive tactics to get you, without even your, your knowledge, to get you to give them probable cause and consent to search your vehicle. They are trained to do that. There's video out there of police academies teaching their officers the language to use to deceive the, the average person who has no idea. But that can't happen if you say to them, I am invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. I am not talking about my day. Am I being detained or am I free to go? And stick with that. Well, hey, where are you going? Officer, I am invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. I am not talking about my day. Am I being detained or am I free to go? Well, do you know how fast you were going? As I've previously said, sir, I am not talking about my day. I am invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. And you have to say, I am invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. You yeah. have to say that. You can't just not say it. Because, by the way, the other thing is, a lot of people will just not talk. And they'll be like, well, it's my right to the Fifth Amendment not to say anything. I didn't have to talk. Well, actually, yeah, you do. You have to say to them, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. You have to use that language. Because if if you don't use that language and you don't speak a word to them, you are not following their procedure. And their procedure is as soon as somebody says, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights, they they have to stop asking you questions. And you have to you have to invoke your right to an attorney. Hey, I want an attorney, lawyer. I want an attorney. If you're arrested, I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. I want an attorney. It's over. They cannot question you. They cannot ask you questions. The moment you invoke your Fifth Amendment rights and ask for an attorney, they have to, by law, stop asking you questions. And anything you say after that point is likely inadmissible. So shut your mouth. Stop talking. I'm invoking my Fifth Amendment rights. I want an attorney. Great. Yeah. Done. It's over. That's yeah. all you have to do. But so many people don't know that you actually have to say those words. Yeah, because I think most people don't get pulled over a lot. You know? Which is good. Yeah. Which is good. I hope you don't. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger got away with rape because his lawyer told police no one uh, no when they requested an interview with Ben. Correct. Correct. I would I would not disagree with that. Um, stop it, Ruff. Ruff's official says more Caucasian people have been killer by police oh, than God, other here we go stop just stop that's not what we're here for uh neville 93 says i'm learning the fifth amendment is there to prevent self-incrimination if you are under arrest it is not for you to refuse cops casual conversation and be uncooperative correct do not be uncooperative uncooperative do not battle the cops do not but also do not talk about your day yeah do not because there's nothing what good comes out do you really think you're going to talk your way out of a ticket do you really think you're talking your way out of a ticket? You're not. You're getting a ticket. They make too much money on them. If they see you driving down a street, and this is probably the scenario that most brown-skinned people get in trouble with. They see you driving down a street, and cops know where drug houses are. Here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. They know who on any given street, the cops in that beat know where the drugs are. They know who's selling them, and they know where they're selling them. They just don't do anything about it. Because they don't have a reason to do anything about it. 
So if you're driving down that street, they've already got probable cause. They're just trying to get you to give them consent to search. Because the moment you say, yeah, sure, you can search my vehicle, it's over. You're going to jail. If you're on a known drug street or if you're on a street with a drug house and you're black or brown, you're going to jail. Yeah. You are. I mean, the chances of a cop searching your car and finding nothing are, whether you have anything in there or not, the chances of them finding nothing, what do you think those are? Slim and none. Yeah. They're pulling you over for a reason. And if it's a busted taillight, and please, if you're driving a load of drugs down the street, don't drive a load of drugs down the street. But also don't do it with a broken taillight. You, I cannot tell you how many times I've been on a ride along in, in one of the worst neighborhoods in the Bay Area. Yeah. I mean, a known drug gun gang area. I was on a ride along with a drug and task, uh, task force gang unit. We pulled a car over. I'll never forget it. It was an Oldsmobile, a brown gold tinted Oldsmobile. With a broken taillight hanging off the car. And the guy had a trunk full of weed. By the way, we didn't arrest that guy or the cops didn't arrest that guy that night. They got information from him and let him go. That's how it works, man. Don't run drugs with a fucking broken taillight, you idiot. You're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. Anyway, I'm only here to help. I only give yeah. you the simple advice, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, let's change the subject. This one triggers me. And Garcia says, they kept talking about uh, defunding the police, but no one touched on reforming Why training do departments. we have to go to defunding Different the show. police, dude? Uh, the, Greg Hawkins says, the key moment... Um, you hear the words, you have the right to remain silent. You say absolutely nothing, nothing except I need a lawyer. Exactly right. You have the right to remain silent and you need to say to them, you have the right to remain silent. I'm invoking my fifth amendment, right? I'd like a lawyer, please. Done. Don't say another word. It's over. Stop talking because you're not talking your way out of this shit. Yeah. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Um, Amber Heard took a dump in Johnny Depp's bed and is blaming it on Johnny Depp's dog. So if you're not watching the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, you're not doing life right. Yeah. Because you, no matter how shitty your life is or what kind of loser you are, watch the, the Amber Heard testimony. You'll instantly feel better about yourself. Like you will feel better about yourself. Setting this, the stage here, Johnny Depp is suing Amber Heard for $50 million for Depp defamation he's likely not going to win but this wasn't about winning the case this was about proving that Johnny Depp didn't batter Amber Heard because it's cost him he hasn't gotten a single script since she wrote that op-ed several years ago and he lost the Pirates of the Caribbean Caribbean movie however you want to say it yeah I was corrected the other day on oh. YouTube because I said Pirates of the Caribbean it's Caribbean okay cool all okay. right guy Feel free to fuck off. Anyway, the point is, um, Johnny Depp has lost the Pirates of the Caribbean um, series. Mm -hmm. Now, they they casted um, Margot, Robbie. Margot Robbie as the new lead in the next film. Johnny Depp, though, just in, and I just want you to know that Johnny Depp is suing her for $50 million for defamation, not to win the defamation case, but to prove she beat him physically and he did not beat her. But this dog pooped in my bed thing is hysterical. Uh, you said you brought the dogs. Who were the dogs you brought? Uh, Johnny's dog uh, at, at the time, Boo. Boo. Uh, my dog, Pistol. Nice we showed name. them. Um, they're teacup Yorkies. And I believe and uh, Raquel, my best friend's dog, 
which is a mutt. Okay. What, if any, issues did Boo have with uh, bathroom problems, if you will? She had eaten uh, Johnny's weed when she was a puppy and had uh, bowel control issues for her entire life. She had some control issues. It was um, customary that they slept in bed with us, but Boo, having the issues she had, we have to leave her in bed so that she wouldn't be encouraged to, to, to go to the bathroom, um, which would happen almost immediately once you put her down on the floor. And sometimes oh it happened in bed too. So Bruh. let me get this right. Johnny Depp's dog, Boo, ate his bag of weed and now constantly shits himself as soon as you put him on the floor. Dude. So all of this goes back to Amber Heard trying to punish Johnny Depp for whatever it is she wanted to do. And Johnny Depp says she was just an abusive prick their entire relationship. Yeah. Um. So Johnny Depp claims that she shat in their bed as punishment. She claims that Boo yeah. ate Johnny's weed and the dog crapped in the bed. Yeah. But Johnny Depp claims that, and the people who worked for Johnny Depp in his home at the time, claim that that, that the poo in the bed was so significant that a Yorkie could not have done that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I mean, your small teacup Yorkie's not putting out a human-sized dump. In bed. Yeah, I mean, that's just not, that's in, not happening. Dude. She took a crap in the bed. Allegedly. Allegedly. Amber heard... And then she claimed that when they were in Australia, that Johnny Depp raped her with a liquor bottle, put it in the hoo-hoo, uh, the ha-ha. And the funny thing is, do you have that audio? Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, listen to how she just casually explains away that she claimed Johnny Depp consistently punched her in the face. In one case, she said that he broke her nose. The next day, she was on TV and on the red carpet, and her nose was not broken, by the way. But she claimed that Johnny Depp had consistently battered her and then raped her with a bottle. This is you in the backless dress at the Mordecai premiere in Tokyo, right? That is correct. You would agree that there are no bruises or visible marks on your back in this picture? No, not that I could see. You also told this jury about an incident in Australia in March of 2015. Yes, that's correct. You testified that after this alleged incident, you had cuts on your forearms, right? Yes, that's true. You testified that you had cuts on the bottoms of your feet as well. Yes, that's true. And you testified that you had a bruise across your jaw from when Mr. Depp, quote, clocked you in the face, end quote. That's yeah. true. You didn't take any pictures of these injuries while you were in Australia, did you? I don't think, no, I don't think I took any pictures. You testified that you were also raped with a liquor bottle in Australia, right, Ms. Heard? Yes. You testified you bled from your vagina as a result of that sexual assault. Oh. Yes. There aren't any medical records reflecting that you sought medical treatment for any of these injuries, are there? I did not seek uh, medical treatment after Australia, no. So wait, no. let me get this right. He, he sexually assaulted you with a liquor bottle in your J. And you claim to have bled from your vagina. But you didn't go to the doctor. You didn't photograph it to have evidence. You were seen in Tokyo after you said he mercilessly beat you with a strapless backless dress on. And there is no bruising on your back, shoulders, or face. Like, why would anybody believe Amber Heard in this thing? I mean, Mrs. Monty, just, you've seen as much of it as I have. And, and granted, I think it's been well proven that women or or people of domestic violence sometimes don't go to the police. 
right? Sometimes they are, you know, scared or they've been through a lot of trauma, so they think they deserved it, whatever that is. So maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe that's what happened. But the problem that I have with this whole scenario is that it just keeps snowballing. Yes. It goes from, you know, he, he punched me to now he beat me with a belt. There is zero evidence even though she tries to say it happened the day before she was seen in this backless dress it happened you know the, she was the on james gordon like the thing. whole fate the whole broken yeah. nose thing is the best example of yeah. this she said that johnny depp broke her nose yeah she goes on the next day yeah she was on james corden's show with no like she said she wore a significant amount of makeup <clears throat> like the shots of her on that show you can see her skin. Makeup doesn't cover up for a broken nose. And I got no. news for you. The doctor report, she she said, well, I went to the doctor the next day and then went on the James Corden show. The doctor report makes no mention of facial, head, neck injuries at all. Nothing about her nose. Nothing yeah. about broken bones. No facial x-rays. No CT scan. Never. Nothing. Yeah. Like, what? The, the We've problem, all seen b- broken noses, yeah, and dude. they don't look like your normal nose. No, and, no. And here's the issue for me: this is a case of again a man being assumed guilty of domestic violence because a woman said so, mm-hmm. and she had the audacity to sit up on that witness stand and say, "Well, Johnny's the one who outed himself. I never outed Johnny. I just wrote an op-ed." And it's like, dude, you outed the guy. He he made the thing. I hope people realize. Johnny Depp between 2003 and 2016. Take a guess, Mrs. Monty, at his his earned money from 2003 to 2016. And it's hundreds of millions. Yeah, I'm going to say 200 some odd million. How about $650 million as an actor Uh in a 13-year stretch? Bro. Yeah. And he has not made almost any since this op-ed came out. And he has lost the biggest cash cow he had in Pirates of the Caribbean. All because I I believe, in my opinion, this woman wrote a false op-ed to get back at Johnny Depp for divorcing her. Mm-hmm. And she said, but well, she, I filed for divorce first. Okay, cool. She's like a serial, like... Liar. Like, relationship destroyer. She, I mean, if you look at her history, she is. this is not the first time no. that she's had a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. This is not the first time that she has started and stopped like she like she's a serial bad relationship kind of a person and she her her storylines are so conflicting but let's uh, let's be clear about one thing johnny depp does have have a responsibility to take care of himself and to not be you know physically and mentally incapable with addiction and i know that he said over and over that he tried to get help and that she sabotaged some of that but you know I, I you know i think that the the pirates of the caribbean thing is unfortunately they did cut it off as soon as that op-ed was written you have a choice but you know had he not been but listen so the, the elon musk story is the the oh. best part of this mm-hmm. ah. so 2016 mystery baby yeah 2016 they are johnny depp and amber heard are in a terrible place to the point where they're supposedly going to the Met Gala mm-hmm. as guests of Ralph Lauren. And so as part of that, of course, they were going to wear his clothing. There was a fitting scheduled that Johnny Depp did not show up for, but they were not communicating with each other. And so she goes to the fitting 
And she claims Johnny Depp stood her up at the on the red carpet at the Met Gala. And that she was forced into walking with Elon Musk. And she blames Johnny Depp for her relationship with Elon Musk. Because they are now dating. They are boyfriend, girlfriend. Not any, Are uh, they still? Are they still or no? No, no. I could they, okay. Wait, wait, they dated afterward. Yeah, yeah. I thought they were still dating. I could be wrong. Uh-uh. Anyway, so she gets divorced from Johnny and says that she is going to give away half of the divorce settlement to charity. Well, she got worked on the witness stand and eventually said, "Yeah, um, Elon paid two five hundred thousand dollar installments of that charity donation." <laughs> Bad so she, luck, bro. So she didn't give her, her the half of that money away. Elon Musk was making payments of $500,000 each on her behalf. Like this woman to me comes off as a serial manipulator. She's also bisexual and she had a tumultuous relationship previously with a woman who accused her of domestic violence. Like this is not new for her. And again, not to go back to Ezra Miller Mm -hmm. and what they are involved in, but I look at Amber Heard you're in Aquaman. All you have to do is not be a fucking psycho yeah. and you're set for life. Yeah. And she just couldn't resist writing that op-ed. Just couldn't resist it. Could not resist it. No. And it's self-fulfilling. No. It's remarkable to me. She And the other <clears throat> thing she did in this trial that made me crazy, like the look on her face and the way she would turn her head and like whip at the jury when she was answering a question is freaking weird yeah well she's a weird person she's acting she's acting on i agree just as much as you know her would. fake tears during this trial oh. amazing am i the only one that she didn't actually have tears she cried without tears oh i it, it's amazing to me i i yeah. just don't yeah. wow all right uh giggity says anyone else noticed uh the crazy in her eyes while she was testifying exactly my point brandon white says beat a woman and you're poor, it's jail time. Beat a woman and you're rich, sue them for millions. I don't I don't think that Johnny Depp is innocent here. I don't believe that he routinely beat her. Not based on what she has testified to. I don't believe he routinely punched her in the face. I don't believe that, like, she cut his finger off, man. Like, in, in one of their bouts. Like, I think she was far more the aggressor. In my opinion, based on what I've heard, she was far more the aggressor. Yeah. And I I think that Johnny Depp has suffered irreparable damage in in this whole thing. I don't see any way that he he ever recovers from it. Because I, I even if he wins, let's say, and there's no winning here, but let's say he's awarded the victory in this trial. Does somebody start sending him scripts again? I don't know. No. Probably not. Probably not. Prob- probably not. Greg Hawkins says, Amber Heard is the stereotypical crazy ex-girlfriend, except she's turned up to a thousand. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly right. We should uh, make universal law care. Well, truth. Yeah. Well, they should also, uh, they also don't get charged. Well, that's true. I, I think rich people absolutely get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's crazy. That's why watching this trial is so entertaining because the level of whack. I mean, it's sort of like it. We get little bits of the the level of whack, and we're 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 seeing it in the you know in the reverse. Like I can't. We don't really watch like the Real Housewives no. of whatever, whatever, whatever. Just because like that level of drama is like so much, and I can't take it. But the richer you are, 
the wackier your stuff but is. I, but I also think when you get in trouble when you're rich, you tend to get the benefit of the doubt from juries. I mean, I you got to go no further than O.J. Simpson and his ability to fall in love with a woman on the jury. Yeah. To be have a woman on the jury be smitten with him. Like, to... to He's he to me, there was so much at play dynamically in that OJ trial, but I don't think anybody doubts, in my opinion, anyways, I think he killed them. Yeah. I have no doubt about that. I know he's out looking for the killers while he's playing golf and stuff. Right. Right. But my right, point is right. he got off because he's OJ Simpson. How about yeah. that? And he's charming and Yes. Oh, I can't fit the glove on my hand. Yeah. You know, like whatever. Yeah, I, I think yeah, and they botched that prosecution. Anyways. Anyway, I thought it, 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 it's been an interesting freak show of the week. And by the way, by the way, Elon still has not bought Twitter. Nope. I don't know if anybody noticed that. Nope. Did he, I see that Snoop Dogg offered to buy it? He did. He I love did. That. But, but here's the problem, real <laughs> quick, because we really got to go. Here's the problem, though. Do you understand now that we are in a situation where you, you, t- the damage done to Twitter is irreversible? Mm hmm. Twitter is forever financially wrecked. And I think the user base in America will never recover from this Elon Musk thing. And I think that's exactly what Elon Musk wanted. I have have no doubt about it. I I just, I think Elon Musk, this was a shit show. I think he would have purchased it if there are some people who believe that he was warned that he had made an FTC violation that could be felony level violation for selling his stock in Tesla the way he did. But I, I just think he's happy to have ruined Twitter. And I don't think he ever buys it. I, I could be wrong. But I, I just think he's happy to have ruined Twitter. They lost several directors, yeah. several corporate level directors. Like that company will never be the same, unfortunately. Yeah, that's well said. There you go. All right, I have to pee, so play the music so we can move. Um, I'm old. I have a small bladder. What do you want? Um, by the way, Dr. Oz... Please, no. I hope he wins because they will lose Pennsylvania if Dr. Oz becomes their their the Republican guy there. Wackadoodles. Yeah. So classic. Way to go, so Oprah. Wacky. Way to go, Oprah. Appreciate you. Until tomorrow, say goodbye, Jake. Goodbye, Jake.